On this week's edition of Talking Cinema, I'm going to be going back to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, because I'll be discussing the first installment of the Star Wars prequel trilogy, that is The Phantom Menace. All of this and more on this week's edition of Talking Cinema. And welcome back to another fun-filled edition of Talking Cinema with your host, that's myself, Christoph Hankerson, and I am thoroughly excited and thrilled to be bringing you another fun episode of the show, and really the next several episodes are going to be a lot of fun because I will be delving into one of my all-time favorite, well, we're just going to go ahead and say my all-time favorite movie series, the Star Wars films, I'm going to be starting with the prequel trilogy, but before we delve into the prequel trilogy, I, I would just like to remind you that if you enjoy listening to this podcast, I am on the available podcasting platforms of, let's say, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just look up Talking Cinema with Christoph Hankerson, and I'm on there. And you can go back in the archives and listen to all the previous episodes that have been recorded as well if you are inclined to do so. And I'm sure it will be entertaining, and I hope it will be enlightening and educational as well. I, I try to be as educational as possible with these, but most of the time, it's just me having fun, just geeking out and talking about one of my favorite pastimes, and that's watching movies. And here we are. I cannot believe it. We are almost a third of the way through the year, but here we are. It, it's March. For those of you, depending on when you get this podcast, it might be April, but I'm recording this in March, and wow, I just, I just, I'm just amazed at how fast the year has gone by. Looks like things, things are looking up though, regarding movies as far as films hitting theaters. We're, <laughs> we're finally getting Black Widow. In other news, that was a big announcement last week. I'm very excited as that film is going to be released on my birthday weekend, July. The 9th, I believe, is the release date for that, so I'm thoroughly excited for that. We were supposed to get that last year, but obviously when the pandemic happened, a lot of films that were supposed to be released in 2020 just kept getting pushed back further and further with release dates as well. But as more people continue to get vaccinated and as cases continue to go down, I think we are headed towards semi-normalcy again, and hopefully by the end of the year into next year will be full on normal again, but it's, it's going to take a while to, for this to happen. I can't, I can't say this. I can't stress this enough folks, you know, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. You know, if you, if you like me have dodged this whole thing and haven't gotten anything, you know, you haven't tested positive or, you know, haven't gotten sick. Kudos to you. Please keep it up. Please don't be stupid and ruin it for everyone else. Please keep wearing your masks social distancing, washing your hands, and together we can do this. Get vaccinated if possible, and if you feel so inclined, I know there's some people who are on the fence about it, don't feel, don't feel comfortable doing it, other people who are, wherever you fall in that, you know, do what you think is best in that situation. All right, well, enough about that. We're gonna, Let's talk some Star Wars. So we're going to be talking about the first film in this series, episode one, The Phantom Menace. And by a lot of Star Wars fans' calculations, really for years up until, I would say, the prequel, excuse me, up until the Disney sequel trilogy of films that came out, 
a lot of fans would have regarded the prequel trilogies, specifically episode one, as potentially the worst Star Wars film of all time. And and one thing you got to think of. So I'll provide a little bit of context for those of you that are diehard Star Wars fans. You know, feel free to tune out. But for some of you that may be casual, might not know a lot of this. Here's some info about you. So you got to remember something. The original trilogy was beloved and still is beloved by many Star Wars fans today. My personal favorite film of the entire saga is Empire Strikes Back, and I will be doing a full episode of that later on. I'm probably going to save that for the week of May the 4th as we inch closer to that. And actually, but but so the context behind it is simple. You know, the first three films came out. They were wildly successful, wildly popular. Audiences around the world, not just America, but the world, fell in love with Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, Chewbacca, C-3PO, R2-D2, Obi-Wan, Darth Vader. They all became household names. And all of them literally overnight became pop culture icons who, to this very day, you still see people cosplaying as these various characters at (laughs) Comic-Cons. or you did see people cosplaying as these various characters at Comic-Cons because we haven't had any live shows in over a year now. But all that to say, the original trilogy was beloved and still is beloved today. We're on our, I don't know how many generations have experienced the Star Wars trilogy in some way, shape, or form, whether it's been on the TV broadcast. I know for years, Fox would broadcast the Star Wars films on Thanksgiving and and whatnot. And I, I believe, I remember leading up to the release of episode three in theaters, I think every single Saturday afternoon, they were putting the Star Wars films on in the in the afternoons for people to enjoy. So, I mean, Star Wars has literally been a part of, of pop culture and a valuable one at that. I mean, you know, who, what, well, how many of us you know, how many of you listening understand my voice, myself included, how many of us played with lightsabers as kids, you know, or how many of us, you know, envisioned ourselves as, you know, flying the Millennium Falcon like Han Solo or flying an X-Wing fighter like Luke and the rest of the Rebel Battalions. Or maybe if you're like me and you like the villains, you imagine yourself on the Death Star as Darth Vader, you know, giving orders to the rest of the Imperial troopers. Or, you know, how many of us envisioned ourselves on the ice planet of Hoth battling AT-ATs? Or, you know, perhaps Battle of Endor, you know, riding those, riding those scout trooper bikes the way Luke and Leia did. I mean, there's just so many great things from the original trilogy that are just still within us today. I mean, I feel like, you know, when I talk to people who actually saw the original Star Wars film in theaters, I am all, I'm always, always, always getting get excited. Obviously, I'm a younger fan. I was born in the early 90s. So my first experience with Star Wars on the big screen was with episode one, which I promise we will get to. You know, I'm just kind of building up, but I always get very excited to meet people who watch the original trilogy on the big screen because that had to be the coolest thing. And I feel like anybody who watched the original Star Wars in theaters, that's hands down got to be your coolest movie experience of all time. I mean, I just can't imagine anybody who watched A New Hope back in 1977 on theaters having a better film experience that can top that one. I mean, what could? If I was alive back then, that probably would have been my best film experience of all time. That's probably something I would be telling people about when they ask, oh, what was the 
most fun you've had in theaters, the best movie you ever saw, and it'd be the original Star Wars. Because that movie literally changed the game. It changed not only how we view films visually, but it changed how we hear them. The sound effects, Skywalker sound, industrial like magic with the visuals, all revel Star are all revolutionized, not just Star Wars, but the motion picture industry as a whole into the next several decades and really into the new millennium, into what we see today, what we've seen with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, what we've seen with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what we've seen with The Matrix, The Mummy, and so many other. You name any big time special effects spectacle of a film that we've seen in the last 40 plus years. You have Star Wars to thank for that. And really, there's not much else that can be said there. Star Wars, long and short of it, is Star Wars changed the game for pretty much every big time film that came after. And I mean, I, I see it time after time, you know, and, and as I as I look, as I look at the profiles of all the major Hollywood directors and producers that are out there that are of a certain age, most of them that were born in the 1960s to the present, or at least up until the early 90s, people my age, 70, 80% of them, even actors, people, even people that are on the big screen, not just people behind the scenes shooting films, but people that are on the screen, they will credit Star Wars as being one of their favorite childhood films and as being one of the films that inspired them to get into acting, or to get behind the camera and be a director or to be a producer. How many musicians as well who are in symphony orchestras probably were big Star Wars fans have John Williams to thank for creating arguably some of the most spellbinding music out there that makes you say, hey, I wanna play this instrument. I wanna play that instrument. I love how that instrument sounds. How can I learn to play that? Just a personal, Just a personal testimony. That was me. I grew up a huge Star Wars geek, obsessed with it. I still am to this very day. <laughs> and you know, and part of the reason why I wanted to play trumpet was because I, I heard how cool the, the the music sounded in Star Wars. I'm like, I kind of want to play that instrument. And there we are. The rest, as they say, is history. Had a lot of fun playing it, and still play it every now and then. Don't play it nearly as much as I did, but hey, I. I have Star Wars and John Williams to thank for putting me on the path of what I did with music. Just as all the various people in the entertainment industry have George Lucas and Rick McCollum and you know all those guys behind the scenes to thank for bringing a, a galaxy far, far away to the big screen and into the hearts of millions for over 40 years. As of this year, it'll be 44 years. So anyways, now, so that was so that was the original trilogy, much beloved, very inspirational. So 1983 comes around, and the final Star Wars film, or at least what they thought the final Star Wars film would be, Return of Jedi comes out, it's released, it's very successful, and then, like a lot of popular franchises, it kind of died off, it kind of went off the map for a little bit. And really, I would say, I would compare the, the dark period of Star Wars to the dark period of Star Trek. You know, after after the original series was canceled by NBC in 1969, I'm referring to Star Trek now, there were legions of fans, though, that were so loyal. They're obviously called, you can either call them Trekkies or Trekkers, depending on who you talk to, but they were so loyal to Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, and his vision 
and what he what he gave to million gave to the fans on a weekly basis that in syndication it wasn't until syndication that that show became popular and but there was still a very there was still obviously a dark period and only the loyalist of fans were would admit that they were star trek fans or trekkies or trekkers the ones who would go to the conventions around you know their local area or who would travel you know, around the world to these things or America to these things. I think they were just mostly a domestic thing, not so much a worldwide thing with cons. They've only been a worldwide thing maybe for the last 20 or 30 years, if that. But they stayed loyal and their loyalty was rewarded. It took about 18 years, but the next generation came out. And pretty much as they say, the rest is history. Full speed ahead, Captain. I know this is a Star Wars show, but I am a Star Trek fan as well. It is perfectly fine and okay to like both franchises because both are amazing and both have presented very different things to the table. But the next generation comes out, and then you have Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise and all the various films that came out in between then. Yeah, obviously you had the original motion picture that even came out before TNG, and those six six films with the original cast and then four with the TNG cast. And all of that to say, I definitely believe that because George Lucas, fun fact, Roddenberry was a Star Wars fan. He enjoyed the original trilogy. Fortunately, that's all he got to see because he passed away in 91. George Lucas was a Star Trek fan. He himself was heavily influenced by the work of Gene Roddenberry. Probably never missed an episode. And it's Roddenberry's vision of the future that inspired George Lucas to create his own sci-fi world. Now, there's obviously all, all kinds of people out there on both sides that get into debates. Or, oh, you know, Star, Star Wars is just pure fantasy. None of that can happen in real life. There's no way somebody can hold a lightsaber. It's nothing but heat. Or, no, Star Trek, that's the real sci-fi. That's actual science fiction because a lot of that stuff that we see now in the world today was influenced by, by Star Trek. Blah, 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 blah. Back and forth. Might be some truth to that, but they're both great franchises. But anyways, back to Star Wars. So kind of like Star Trek, when it went off the map for a little while, there were only the legions of diehard fans that clung to it and were obsessive about it, you know, reading books. The same can be said of Star Wars, including all the Spanic universe novels and perhaps comic books, eventually video games. You know, that was a way for fans who couldn't get enough, who their only outlet of watching the Star Wars was when it would come on TV every now and then because VHS tapes being sold to the general public were very expensive in the mid to late 80s and into the 90s. They didn't really get reasonably priced until probably early to mid 90s, but probably around 91, 92 is when VHS tapes started to get a little bit more reasonably priced for the general public. They were about 80 to $90 retail price back when they first started. And then as people saw, oh, you know, if people want to replay these in their home over and over and over again, instead of charging this high price that only, you know, people who are making six or more figures a year can afford, you know, we want the people who are, we want everybody to be able to have these films in their home to enjoy and not have to wait. Because there's some people who just don't want to wait for a film to come on TV because it might be, you know, it might be like itching to watch it and it's like, oh, we don't have it. But anyways... Star Wars was in kind of a dry spell. For about 16 years, it was very, it was culturally irrelevant to a point because basically if you were a fan of Star Wars, you were considered, and you were vocal about it, you were considered a nerd, a geek, a, a loser, 
by a lot of people's imaginations, which is really funny because a lot of people who made those accusations became fans of the series eventually when it became all hipster and cool and trendy to like nerd culture. Ah, those people annoy me. It's like you pick on nerds and yet you want to indulge in their culture. Talk about an oxymoron. But anyways, so here we are. It's 1983. Obviously, Phantom Menace was released in 99. But backtrack a few years, George Lucas decided to go back and started writing the drafts for the, what would be the prequel trilogy as early as 1994. And he started producing the film and cat or she started sending out casting calls for film i believe 96 97 and production went underway around that same time it took him about took him close to a year to film and obviously almost a year of post-production and whatnot because there's a lot that goes into making a star wars film as well and then just like that the premiere happens and you know it's 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 hard to believe it's been this long, but I cannot believe it has been 22 years since episode one came out. And you got to think, when episode one came out, this was like pre-YouTube, pre-anything. YouTube didn't exist for another seven or eight years. YouTube's been around since 2005. So fall of 98 is when they really started hyping the film up. You know, it had been completed. George Lucas has said he's targeting a, a late spring, very early summer release date for the film. Um, middle of May, that's when... Before the sequel trilogy kind of moved into Christmas season, it was customary for all the Star Wars films to be come out in to come out in May. All the original trilogy films came out in May, and so George was like, "Okay, let's put the prequel, let's put the first film out on May nineteenth. And it's and it's it's funny to look back on it because there's just so many people I talk to who are in their thirties or forties now, who might have been in college or might have been. Okay, it's been 22 years. Some of them were elementary, middle, high school, whatever age group, and they remembered, you know, being just mesmerized. Because this was pre-YouTube, the only way you could see a movie trailer, well, the only way that you could see a movie trailer over and over and over again, outside of when it debuted on Entertainment Tonight back in November of 98, the only way that people can do it, well, there were two ways, but the easier way was to go pay and watch a movie that you didn't care to see, see the trailer, and walk out and leave. That And that is what people of a certain age in that era did. They were like, okay, let's, because I believe the trailer was advertised before. I know it was, I believe it was Waterboy, Meet Joe Black, and get the third one. Oh yeah, Wing Commander. Those three movies were the three main movies that carried the episode one trailer. So people around America and the world were saying, let's go pay admission to go watch this movie or see this movie. And then let's walk out afterwards. Because all we want to do, we don't care about this particular film. We don't care about Waterboy. We don't care about Meet Joe Black. We don't care about Wing Commander. We just want to see the trailer for episode one. Because then again, there was no YouTube. It's not like today where you can play a trailer over and over and over and over and over again and help it get millions upon millions of views before release. The only way anything could get millions and millions of views before release is if you went to go see it. Unless you wanted to deal with slow dial-up connections and bad internet. And that's what people did. People were going in droves just to see a trailer for a movie. And and it's, and it's funny. I, I tell people this and they're like, yeah, say what you want about episode one. But man, were people excited to go watch that. 
Then the spring comes and they're, they're really hyping up the film. The hype train is building as it gets closer and closer to release date. And nostalgia was really strong. I mean, because I was a kid at this point in time. I was six, about five, six years old. I was the perfect target demographic for episode one. And boy, did I, on my birthday and later that year, Christmas list have pretty much Star Wars toys on my list at the top. It's like, if you don't get me anything else, get me Star Wars stuff. Get me Star Wars stuff. Get me Star Wars stuff. It's like, I got other stuff that I should have loved and and whatnot, but all I cared about was the Star Wars stuff. I'm just being honest. Like, it's literally all I cared about. So I believe March of 99, so about two months before episode one hits theaters, and there's pictures floating around the internet of this, but people were just, I mean, we're talking people who were my age now and like, you know, 18, 34 year olds, you know, going to Toys R Us and just buying up action figures. I'm just like, where do they get this money? Where do some of these guys get their money? I mean, more power to them. Man, that's a lot of money for all these action figures. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars spent. Massive ad release campaign for the film with KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut. They were playing the commercials every, I mean, billboards, buses in big cities. I mean, episode one, you could not go anywhere without seeing episode one. The hype was real. I believe in my lifetime, that might have been the first film I remember getting that much hype. I mean, it was huge. It it was big. It was everywhere. And then the release happens. May 19th, 1999, Star Wars Episode One is released. It became the highest grossing film for its particular weekend. It was the highest grossing film of the year worldwide. And then in 1999, I believe domestically it was the highest grossing film of the year as well. And it made over a billion at the box office on a $115 million budget. And while it received it received mixed to reviews from critics, some liked it, some didn't. It was pretty it was a pretty mixed reaction from fans as well. And they'll point to a lot of different things. I know I didn't really get that much of a plot summary because this was more of a nostalgia piece for me, you know, regarding episode one. But the long and short of it, and I'll probably maybe do another episode, you know, part two of my episode one review where I just really delve deeper into the different intricacies of the film. But it, honestly, I thought it did a good job of introducing everything it was supposed to be. You know, we, we got to see young Anakin Skywalker for what he was and eventually perhaps foreshadow who he would become, especially if you stick around at the end of the movie for the, you know, for the end credits, you hear the Vader breathing. And it's almost poetic how it happened in episode three. The same music that you hear in the end credits for episode one is what you hear as Vader's mask is being put on. And it's like, yeah, here it is like, the breathing, it's like, whoa, wow. Great use of foreshadowing, Lucas. But yeah, we see Anakin, you know, he's a young slave, nine years old on Tatooine. He was, you know, he's Watto, the Toydarian junk dealer, your slave. Him and his mom are both slaves. And we see young Anakin Skywalker. He's he's happy to be a Jedi, but he's so powerful, having the highest midichlorian count out there, over 20,000. It's even said in the movie, even Master Yoda didn't have a midichlorian count that high. And Qui-Gon's like, no Jedi has. So they're like, oh, we got a problem on our hands. We got a pretty powerful kid there. And yeah, he's going to become an evil Sith Lord, probably the most powerful Jedi ever. And he did all that. But, you know, we got to see him in his humble beginnings on Tatooine, his home world, 
know, he loved building things and fixing things. You see how he built C-3PO. You know, we got the, we got introduced briefly in this film to the, to the what would become the dynamic duo, one of the greatest duos in motion picture history, C-3PO and R2-D2. You know, and you know, we got introduced to Obi-Wan, the wise. Before he was the wise great Jedi that watched over Luke Skywalker on Tatooine for all those years, everybody's got to start somewhere. He was a young Padawan learner under Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn, who I really wish we saw more of, and I hope we do see more of him, perhaps maybe even in flashback sequences in the upcoming Kenobi series on Disney+, Plus, which I'm highly anticipating and highly looking forward to. So glad Ewan McGregor's coming back to the role. It is arguably, not arguably, it is his most iconic role to date. And even though we would only see maybe a glimpse of what he would do in episodes two and three as far as acting performances go, which were easily some of the best in the entire prequel trilogy, we saw it. But aside from, and we got to see, because you got to remember, in the original trilogy, we did not see much of the Jedi Council or the Jedi Order. We'd heard a little bit of it, you know, when Obi-Wan was talking to Luke on Tatooine, when he gave him his father's lightsaber, we heard a little bit of it, how... You know, Obi-Wan was saying for over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy before the dark times for the Empire. And he tells them a young man, who's Anakin, was seduced by the dark side and, you know, became Darth Vader and he betrayed and murdered your father, which to an extent that was correct, Darth Vader did murder Anakin Skywalker because Anakin became Vader. And we'll get to episode three in a few weeks, but... Yeah, I did that. You know, we finally learned where the force came from. I know a lot of people are like, okay, you know, why do we care so much? Well, you know, so the force is made up of midichlorians, which are microscopic life forms living inside of everyone. And we're symbionts or life forms working together for a mutual advantage. Like that's what the force is? That's actually how the force works? I know that might've upset some people, but really, come on. They, that was, I would say, maybe they could have cut back on that, but I understand why they did it. Because just as we didn't know a whole lot about the Jedi Order and the Jedi Council in the original trilogy, you know, we didn't, we didn't know about a lot about Anakin Skywalker and how he became Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi, how he got to where he was. You know, episode one was laying the ground for this stuff, you know, and, and we didn't know about the Force. So I guess sometimes, not in all cases, but a lot of the times you need some background. You need a backstory. Not just for characters, but for elements of different fantasy worlds, and the Force is one of them. So that was the director's best, that putting their best foot forward. That was Lucas and all the guys behind the scenes saying, "Hey, this is this is what I want to see, and this is what I want to give to the audience." And and I, and, I, and I think they did a good job of that. Um, you know, obviously Darth Maul left a little bit to be desired, but if you watch Clone Wars and you watch Rebels. You know, Darth Maul has always been my favorite character, but, you know, I always wanted to see more of him. And thankfully, thanks to those two wonderful animated series, also both on Disney Plus, and I also recommend watching them before Bad Batch debuts on May the 4th. But, you know, Darth Maul was obviously, he was on all the promotional material. Like his shadow was just in the background. I mean, the official theatrical poster has Darth Maul in the background. You know, pretty much all, I mean, he was on all the action figures. I mean, he was the most sought after Star Wars action figure when episode one came out. Every kid, myself included, wanted his lightsaber. I mean, Darth Maul has been my guy for over 20 years. For over 20 years, Darth Maul has been my favorite character. And that 
my friends will probably never change. I mean, ever since I saw him whip out that double-bladed lightsaber when I saw a preview for it on television, not in the theaters, on television, I was like, this guy's the this guy is awesome. He might look a little satanic and a little evil, a little demonic, but hey, he's cool. And we also get to see, you know, Chancellor Palpatine. Before he was Chancellor Palpatine, he was an ambitious and cunning senator in the Galactic Republic. And his gradual rise to power is honestly one of the best villain arcs in all of cinema history. And I am excited to delve into that as well. I know he's a young and ambitious senator, but if you're paying attention, he's behind everything. You know, it's all a part of his grand plan to overthrow the Republic and give rise to the Empire. And we saw glimpses, of, only saw glimpses of it in episode one, but we all knew what he was up to when he said, I will be Chancellor. And then eventually Emperor was plotting to take over from the beginning, 10, 13 years before everything happened, before the Clone Wars, before everything. It was all in his plans. But yeah, I, I really enjoy episode one. I know I didn't get to talk as much about the film, as much about the plot, but we're going to save that for another time. And you know, I know I don't understand the film, the flack, the hate that the film gets. You know, I know there's a lot of people out there that weren't fans of Jar Jar Binks, but come on. Every film has to have comic relief or a side character for the kids to be entertained through all, all the political babble. That's why the pod race scene was there as well, you know, to help prepare us for what we would see later. But hopefully another episode will delve even deeper into the film and we'll really enjoy that. All right, take a short break. We'll be back to wrap things up after this. So don't go anywhere. Well, that's all the time we have for our show this week for Talking Cinema. This is your host, Christoph Hangerson, signing off, saying goodbye, and see you next time. <laughs>